Isn't Christmas music the best? We have the best music in the church. And Christmas time is ah, nothing better. Penelope, can I hand this to you? Can you take this for me? So I don't knock it on the floor there. Thank you. A common question that kiddos like Penelope are faced this time of year is, do you uh, believe? Uh, we watched the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, or what, what they had of it this, this week, and Macy's, the building in downtown New York City, has, has emblazoned in Christmas lights over the front of their facade the word believe. Now, I don't know what corporate <laughs> board of Macy's wants us to believe, but they have the word believe there uh, across the front of their building. We've watched a couple Christmas movies already in our house, the, the Santa Claus. Anybody ever seen it? Tim Allen? I think there's three of them. Is it one, two, and three? Oh, okay, we're on the third one in our house. Uh, and then the best movie or one of the top five ever made, I'm sure I'll get no disagreement here, Elf, right? I mean, that is just great. The theme, very different movies, but the, 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 the storyline is similar in that somebody doesn't believe and needs to be made to believe, and then the happy ending at the end of the movie is, ah, they believe, and then happy joy, joy, right? Well, the real story of Christmas also follows this similar pattern. It, too, begins with disbelief. Did you know that? Now, disbelief, before I go any farther than that, disbelief is different from unbelief. Unbelief says, I do not believe, I will not believe. Disbelief is, it's bewilderment. It's how can that possibly be true? But within saying that, there's, a, there's still a kernel of, of hope. I hope it is true. Or of wonder. I wonder if it could be true. That's the distinction I want to make between disbelief and unbelief. Do you know where the disbelief is in the Christmas story? Two people, actually. One, Lauren read for us in our scripture reading. Mary. But the first one was Zechariah. When the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and says, Hey, Zech, uh, your wife is old, and I know you haven't been able to have kids, but um, guess what? There's going to be a miracle. And God, you're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to bring all Israel back to the Lord. Zechariah's response, How can that be? you got to be kidding me. Then Gabriel goes to Mary's house, and he says, Mary... You're going to give birth to the Christ child. Now, at the end of this, Mary sings this glorious song. We call it the Magnificat. It's such a special, important thing in Scripture. It gets its own little subtitle. But before the song, she too, just like Zechariah says, get out of here. That can't happen. Well, you know what? The gospel, and gospel just means good news. Gospel means the good news about Jesus. It comes to Mary in the same way that it has come to all of us. In your bulletin on your notes page, now this isn't biblical, this is just from the mixed up mind of Adam, but I've said there's, there's three D's of the gospel. Because as pastors, we have to start everything with the same letter, right? 
There's three D's in the gospel, but this is how the gospel comes to all of us. Disturbance, disbelief, decision. Disturbance, disbelief, decision. And it's not, this isn't something that just happens one time only, the first time you hear the gospel, but it's actually a cycle. You're going to deal with this, these three D's for as long as you're walking this earth trying to follow Jesus. Now, it starts with a disturbance. See, so why does it have to start with the disturbance? Well, as long as you are comfortable, you're probably not going to seek God. You're probably not going to reach out to Him. Most of us, if left by our, on our own, we will spend uh, uh, all of our time and energy and money just doing life, trying to stay safe, happy, and comfy. That's normal. Now, is anybody's story with Jesus, your testimony, is anybody's testimony similar to this, where you weren't going to come to God unless He rocked your world, unless He did something to shake you up, unless He really got your attention. He had to take away your safety or your comfort or your confidence in yourself before you were ready to have the ears to listen to Him. Mary, she's minding her own business. She's planning a wedding, thinking about the color of her bridesmaid's dresses. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the front door. Okay, Gabriel probably didn't use the door. Maybe he did. I don't know. She opens the door and says, hey, I'm Gabriel. Nice to meet you. I'm about to rock your world. And she's disturbed. Bam. God wants to use you, Mary. God wants you to be his. Next comes disbelief. Mary says, how can this be? I, I, I'm a virgin. Now, Mary's disbelief, it's not really scientific here. She's not disbelieving because of the physics or the biology of it all. She's, in all likelihood, doing what you or I would do. She's thinking about herself. You know, whenever something major catastrophe happens or whenever a big change is coming, don't you think about how it's going to affect you before anything else? Mary, you're going to have a baby, the angel says, a baby from God. And he will, he will save his people and his kingdom will never end. That's incredible news. And Mary's first question is, how can this be? Imagine what's going through her head. She knows, she knows that she's never been with anybody, but that doesn't matter. Been with anybody means slept with anybody. But that doesn't matter because her life, what's going to happen to her life? What's going to happen to everything that she's planned? Joseph, her, her fiancé, surely he's going to divorce her. He's going to leave her. He's going to break off the engagement. Her family will disown her in this culture. You just didn't do this kind of thing. And then she'll be homeless, destitute. She'll be a beggar with this poor, illegitimate child for the rest of her days. Is she willing to go there? Sure, it's God telling me this is going to happen. Uh, and I guess I trust God. I guess I believe God. But am I willing to, 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 to do that, to go down that path? Think about the unknowns that were swirling around her mind. Is she willing to give up everything she thought was going to make up her life. 
her concerns about herself, they fill her mind. It's so automatic. I'm not demonizing Mary here. This is so automatic. This is what all of us do. But they come so quickly and so forcefully that she cannot even see the glory of the Lord that was standing before her. It makes me think of another example of, in Scripture in Second Kings chapter 6. The enemies of Israel are drawing close. And Elisha's servant, well, I'll just read it for you, Second Kings 6.15. When the servant of the man of God, this is the servant of Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. These are the bad guys. They are surrounded. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He must have sounded like a crazy person at that point. But then Elisha prayed. He said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant was so concerned, again, by no fault of his own, but he was so concerned with what this means to him, for him, that he couldn't even think about the presence of God in the moment, what God might be doing in this situation, Mary's first reaction to skip over the, she skips over the whole God about to save the world bit. And she thinks about what it's going to cost her. Meanwhile, there, there's the angel just standing there, letting her wheels spin, letting her go through all the steps of Shock and disbelief and all this, waiting for a decision. Waiting for a decision. It's decision time. What's it going to be, Mary? I'll wait. This is the point where a lot of people make a negative decision. They go from disbelief to unbelief. No, no, it just cannot be true. No, I just, I cannot believe. I will not believe. No, what you're asking is too high a price. I, I, I will not serve Jesus. Let us have compassion for people who react like this. Because what Mary says here is understandable. For what the angel has told her is impossible. It's impossible, folks. And do you know what we say is true is, in fact, impossible? Have compassion on people who cannot, will not, or have not yet brought themselves to the point where they can believe the impossible. For what we claim to be true is impossible. God became a man to take upon himself the sins of the world so that anyone who would come to trust in his son Jesus would be forgiven and remade and saved. This God-man, he died and was raised again and then taken up to heaven. He's going to return to earth one day. He's going to resurrect the dead 
and reign with his people over a remade creation forever. That, my friends, is nuts. <laughs> but you and I maintain it's true. You and I maintain it's true. And so we've given our lives to this Jesus. And we would sooner die than deny him. But have compassion on people who aren't there yet. Okay? Pray for them like Elisha prays. Oh, Lord, give them a glimpse. Open their eyes. Mary makes the right decision. You know the end of the story. Gabriel's response was very, very crucial in helping Mary make the right decision. What Gabriel does is exactly what God has done for you, and it is also what you and I should do for our unbelieving friends, disbelieving friends, I should say. Gabriel, he, he, he basically lifts her chin, metaphorically speaking, places her, his hand under her chin, lifts it so that her gaze can get off of herself and so that she can see a bigger reality just for a moment. This is God we're talking about, Mary. Now, if everything that God does has to make sense to you, Mary, who is God? Him or you? You cannot expect to grasp all that I'm talking about here. Now, Gabriel does not say, this is a little pet peeve of mine, by the way. Gabriel does not say, you just have to have faith. Ah, I can't stand that. I can't stand that phrase. When has that phrase ever saved somebody? Oh, you're right. Give their lives to the Lord right there. You convinced me. Don't tell somebody they just have to have faith. But, but look, what, look what Gabriel does. Look what Gabriel does. He reorients Mary's gaze from herself to the king of heaven. And then he does, he, then he offers her an explanation and evidence. He offers her an explanation and evidence. The explanation from the text was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, does that explanation answer all of her questions? Certainly not. If Mary were living today, she might have other serious questions about, <laughs> I don't know, the mechanism of fertilization or the baby's DNA or what this means. Yeah, I, would, I would love to know if there's anything special about Jesus' DNA. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool, though. I don't know. The angel does not submit to Mary but he does condescend. You might write this down because this is so crucial to how much God loves you. God's still God. God will not submit to you. So if you expect him to answer all of your questions on your terms, I mean, forget it. You may as well ask the sun to stop giving you sunburn. God's not going to submit to you, but he will condescend. God will not submit to you, but he will condescend. You know what condescend means, right? We usually use it in a, in a, in a mocking tone, like, oh, yes, I'm so, I love that, and you are so down there, right? I'm condescending to you. But when it's God doing it, no, 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 it's an act of love. He's God in heaven, 
And even though He's God, He's going to make Himself understandable to you. He will give you enough explanation. He will give you enough. That doesn't mean everybody's going to believe. You know who this guy is? Who knows who that is? Somebody does. Len? Margie? Lisa? Bill? Lauren? Nope. Cool, I stumped you. That's Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell, a very famous philosopher of the early 1900s, very famous atheist philosopher. He said one time in an interview, that the interview we interviewer said something to the effect of, you're so well known for your unbelief in religion and in God, what do you suppose you'll say to God if you die and find out that there is a God? <laughs> and he said simply, I would say this, sir, you did not give us enough information. Do not be like Russell. Do not demand God meet your terms. It's foolish and it's arrogant. But do ask Him, like Mary asks Gabriel here. Ask Him to condescend. Please show me, sir, how could this be true? Gabriel does give her an explanation, and then he doesn't stop there. Gabriel gives her evidence. Your relative, she's Elizabeth, she's old, and she can't have babies, but go look at her. She's pregnant. At this point of the story, Mary can go one of two ways. What's it going to be? She could say, no, I just can't believe it. I won't believe it. Or she can say, I don't understand it yet. But if this is true, do with my life what you will. And thankfully, for all mankind, thankfully, she did. She said, let it be according, let it be to me according to your word. Mary submits to God in the midst of her disbelief. But even here, it's not a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. The Scripture says, in those days, Mary arose and went to see Elizabeth. Literally, it's saying, in just those days, or in exactly those days. Mary got up. She put everything on hold after the angel left her. She put everything on hold and she spent the next several days traveling to and visiting with Elizabeth. Why? To run this crazy experience by her cousin. Lo and behold, what does Elizabeth do? What does she say? She affirms her faith. It is true, Mary, this thing that was too good to be true. I'm pregnant. Can you believe it? See, another, see how another person, another believer, another follower of the Lord comes into her life and affirms her faith. Isn't that cool how that happens? 
disturbance, disbelief, decision. When the gospel comes to you, it is a hard truth to hear. Tim Keller says this in The Meaning of Marriage. He says, I I I love how he summarizes this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Those are disturbing thoughts. It takes guts to hear that. It takes courage to believe that truth. You see, if the first part of that statement is true, and it is, then the problem with my life isn't my mom or my dad or my teachers or my sisters or my friends or my spouse. It's not my singleness. It's not my job, and it's not my ex. The problem with my life is me. I'm wrong. I am not loving, not as loving as I tell myself that I am. I am not a good person. That truth by itself will leave me dejected and ruined and bitter and angry. It'll leave me in denial. It'll make me a jerk because I'll want to tear you down so I don't have to think about my own ugliness and brokenness. But that's only half of the good news. If the second part of Keller's statement is true, and it is, then the solution to my ugliness, my brokenness, my rebellion, my selfishness, the solution is not to try harder to think more positive thoughts, to read the right book. The solution is not to try to be better than anyone else. The solution is this. The solution is to find my worth in the love that Jesus has for me. Why am I special? Why am I worth so much? Why am I so precious? Why ugly, selfish, unfaithful me? Why? Why? I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus loves you so much that He would die for you. That's what He wants. So that He could... You are the joy that was set before Him. Hebrews says, why, why, why would the Son of God do this? Why would He suffer and go to a cross and die for you? Why would He even leave heaven to be born in a manger stall? I mean, forget about the suffering and dying for a second. Why would God even do that for you? For the joy set before Him. That joy is spending forever with you. He can't wait. He can't wait. He's so excited for that. Each part of that statement that Keller makes, it leads you to a uh, decision point. I'm more sinful and flawed in myself than I ever dared believe. How can this be, Mary asked, for I am a virgin. Now, are you going to say, how can this be? I'm not that bad. I paid that guy's tab the last week. 
I deleted that nasty post before I put it up on Facebook. <laughs> but you thought it, right? Where'd that thought come from? I am more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than I ever dared hope. How can this be? I see my flaws. They're right in front of my face. Why would God want to spend forever with me? Why would Jesus, so good, so pure, so perfect, why would He want to be united with me forever? But the Bible says this is true all the way to the bottom. And if you, like Mary, will submit to Him in your unbelief, there I did it again, if you'll submit to Him in your disbelief and welcome Him into your heart, then just like Mary, you will tear off down that road. You'll find other people in the faith. You'll tear into the pages of Scripture. You'll ask questions of your church family. You will pray boldly to God, but with humility. And you will say this Christmas season, you will make this prayer your prayer for the Christmas season. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Will you pray that? This morning with me. Let's bow. I want you to pray this with me. Dear Lord, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen.